Hey, welcome to the Muso podcast. For those of you who don't know, Muso is a gig booking platform that connects hirers and artists. I'll be interviewing some incredible guests and uncovering their secret tips and tricks to hopefully give you a better understanding of the inner workings of the music industry. Welcome to the Muso podcast, last episode of season one. And boy, has it been an absolute blast. First of all, on behalf of the whole Muso team, we'd like to thank everyone for all of the feedback, emails we've received along the way, not only in Australia, but all around the world. It's been quite overwhelming and we're so excited to be able to be playing a part in helping the next generation of musicians and people wanting to get into the music industry with this podcast. On today's episode, I hope you've got a pad and pen ready to go. One of the most informative chats we've had with Poppy Reed, who is the managing editor of Rolling Stone Australia, the brag, the industry observer and former editor of the Music Network too. It's made her a skilled multitasker with a refreshing new and ambitious perspective on the arts and it's her passion for music and writing and encouraging the next wave of writers to be themselves and to write about what they're passionate about. I love this quote from Poppy. I believe I have one of the best jobs in the world because I've learned to live without a sense of entitlement. I'm not entitled to any of the gifts or opportunities I've been given and most of them I've worked my ass off to get. If you think your dream job is going to fall into your lap, you have a lot of growing to do. Do what others are not willing to do and you'll achieve what they could only dream of doing. Amazing. As we welcome Poppy Reed to the Muso podcast. Thanks for having me. You are more than welcome. What's been happening today? Oh, it's been madness. Our our latest Rolling Stone magazine, the special collector's edition yep. um, for the 50 greatest Australian artists of all time. Nice little plug there. It's after step yeah. seven. Um, <laughs> yeah. That is officially printing as we speak. Wow. Um, so it's that moment where you're like, oh, we did that. Oh, but wait. We really need to move our butts on the next one because we're running out of time. <laughs> well, let, let's go back to let's go back to like where it all started. Like, lots of people, you know, really really excited about this chat, and a lot of people are really curious. Me, me too. When did the love for writing begin for you? Oh my god! So, well, when I was little, it's kind of I've never told this story before. It's a bit stupid, yes, but yes, when I was really yes. little, I wanted to be an actress. <laughs> love it. Yeah, and. Um, I wasn't very good, and but my mum used to bribe me with acting classes to say <laughs> she would say like because I was a really good writer and I loved writing even, even when I was really little. Um, that's a bit of a brag that came off weird. Sorry. Um, <laughs> she, so she would say like I will pay for these acts because we weren't super rich, but she was like I'll pay for these acting classes for you if you write me a short story. Um, and so I would pay for my acting classes by writing. And right. then I kind of got a little bit older and um, I realized that actresses don't make much money unless you're amazing. Yep. And I wasn't amazing. And that was when I was about 10. And right. then I just got obsessed with music shortly after that. And just every chance I got to write, I wrote about music. And I did a journalism degree um, on the Gold Coast at Griffith yep. after we moved there from New Zealand. Yeah. And Every assignment almost was a music writing assignment. That's so <laughs> I just cool. Turned it into it. Yeah. What, what were the artists yeah. that made that? You know, just that that you were passionate about writing. Was it albums that you were hearing, songs, or was there anything specific you'd write about in general? Well, I am a lifelong Hanson fan. Me too. So Me too. I really Zach Taylor Isaac. Okay, so I was Zach because he was closest to my age. But yeah. I don't know if you've read the news lately. Have no. you heard about Zach? No. Oh, my God, I'm going to break your heart. I'm so sorry. He quit the band. Zach Hansen is a racist. Oh. <laughs> he had these secret Pinterest accounts where he would share 
racist, transphobic, homophobic, sexist memes um, under a fake name. And it was found out that it was him. He admitted to it. Um, The other brothers seemed to be, you know, normal, loving, um, rational people. But my my heart is breaking. And and how long has this been going on for? Years. So the the memes go back years ago, but there's even recently he um you know that politician in the US, AOC, uh he's done memes about her. So really recent up like from years ago up until recently is is the um is the bit of lowdown that I've been reading on Reddit. But yeah. So Hansen and then really got into um pop punk for a really long time. My chemical romance, Fallout Boy, yep. um, Paramore, of course. Yep. Um, got into metal for a while there, mainly through boys that I dated. Yeah, as you do. Were you doing going to lots of gigs and and writing about those too? Like, but was that your yeah. first kind of step into the industry? Was music network? Yes. So before the music network, I had an online blog. Love it. Um, and I used to write reviews on that of gigs that I would just go to just just for fun. And this is back when Faster Louder existed. Do you remember Faster Louder, oh, which okay. became the yeah. amazing juggernaut that Junkie is now? Yeah. Um, and you could submit reviews and they would publish them. And so um, I would do that. And that's where actually on their um, forum that they had, they had the job ad for not a job ad, the internship um, details for the music network. So when I was living in Brisbane at the time, I saw the internship details for the music network in Sydney. I applied for it and then told them later that I was moving to Sydney for it. And they were like, oh, well, do your thing, girl. Um, And moved to Sydney, had no friends, had no job, had no place to live. It was it was full on. It was it was kind of it was quite clicky, but I had a beautiful um, editor at the time, Bianca O'Neill. Um, who really took me under her wing. And then there was another um, two people there, Mick Walsh, who's now an artist manager, um, and Nathan Jolie, who's a writer, who really kind of showed me the ropes and took the time. Because when you're an intern, you you know, people don't know how long you're going to be there. People don't know whether they should, you know, um, make the time to get to know you kind of thing. And, yeah, I was very lucky. So I actually worked for free for six months. They let me stay on for six months. Yeah, and then I landed a full-time job. Um, after that and worked my way up the ranks. That's crazy. So that hey, you moved there and, and you were yeah. paid for six months. <laughs> yeah, I had some side hustles going on. And eventually managing editor? And eventually editor, right. um, which which was the top. Um, and I was there for about seven years all up. And then one day, Luke Gerges, who's our current CEO of the Rag Media, he, I'd been on email with him a couple of times because he used to uh, run Shock Records and yeah. he used to manage a band called Little C. Um, and he hit me up and said, would you like to m- meet up for the first because I've never met him before? And he said, I really want to pick your brain about starting a media company. And so I met with him at a little cafe in Surrey Hills and I thought I was just going there to I don't know, tell him how my job kind of works, maybe offer some advice. Not that I thought that I really had any at the time. Yeah. Um, And I thought that was it. And I thought, I actually thought he was a bit crazy for starting a music media publishing company because I didn't think there was much money in it. Soon changed my mind (laughs) when we're doing all right now. (laughs) Um, And then, so then I didn't see him. That was like, um, I think that might've been August. And then September we caught up at Big Sound and then a month later, uh, October, he called me and said, I'm, I've started this company, I've purchased Tone Def, I've yes. purchased the Brag 
and I'd love for you to come over and run it with me. We do it. Um, and at that point I was like, this sounds so fucking crazy. How yeah. amazing. And he said, you know, we might be, um, dead in the water in six months. Like, are you sure? And I just knew I, even if it didn't work out, I knew I would learn so much. Yeah. I had to do it. What, what kind of hours were you working a week? I mean, it's such a, a big workload to take on as well. How did you go about managing your time in certain areas? Ah, oh, a very understanding, beautiful husband. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think I, you know what? We launched um, in January and I got married in March. Wow. Um, so that I remember on my wedding day, checking Slack yeah. and being like, okay, we've got to have this, we've got to have this. And people were like, can you F off and get married? <laughs> <laughs> but I was, I was just so obsessed, you know, like I just had this, this hunger for it and this obsession with, um, you know, building this plane while it was flying. So yes, a lot of work. Yes. A lot of hours. Um, yes. Um, a very understanding husband, but it, it was all me. Like it all came from me just wanting to do a good job. That's and, and what was it like taking on something like a tone deaf as well? Something that always was quite established for a few years. Was that tricky? Did you want to change a lot about it or kind of keep it the same? I loved the tone of tone deaf. Going, oh, I can have fun with the article. Yeah. You know, now I can I can be a little bit cheeky and I can, um, you know, like just just have that kind of conversational tone that it has, which I wasn't. And it took me a little while to work it out. Um, fan, that kind of fan to fan. Um, Yes. Home? Yeah, definitely. Mm. And what are um the new writers like coming through at the moment? They're so passionate about it in in a different way too, because there's just so much going on. There's so many different avenues of yeah. you know, like Instagram, Facebook. It's so different to you know when we were coming up. Totally, they're brilliant. It's it amazing. Like the pitches that we get um for articles, like how in depth they are, and there's kind of you know people that really want to delve into the underbelly of something whether it's an album or yeah. um an issue an issue related to um the culture of australia or, or or a whole bunch of other things it's just these they're so freaking talented and unfortunately with covid a lot of them um went from full-time writers to freelance writers uh which is so sad because uh, it's not easy being a freelance writer it's not easy um doing that and i put my i take my hat off to any writer that can do that I never could um but god I, you're right there's so much music and you're you're not like a writer on a beat now like back in the day yeah. it was like oh you're the metal writer or you're the rock writer there's there's also just like genre crossovers um everywhere so it's hard to even be like a, a kind of a music genre writer or a music journalist that only writes about x yeah you know do you feel like that's a cap in your bow you need right now to be across everything or do you think it, it's there's still a lot of value in writing about one specific subject and kind of staying on that? It's tough because you know, like you, it's that kind of jack of all trades, master master of none kind of yes. thing. But I, I do, I, I think yes, there's so much music out there, and I'm so impressed by so all of the writers that seem to be across it all and understanding of it all. But I do kind of feel like we don't give albums and we don't give songs as much time as we used to. Like, do you remember yeah. like when we loved Hanson, right? Like you would like get the CD, the yeah. cassette or, or the cassette, sorry. And you would, you know, pull the little leaf litty thing out and you'd read the liner notes and yeah. you know, you'd read the thank yous and sometimes they would thank another band and then you would go jump onto that band and suddenly you're a fan of them and you would live and breathe that song 
for months. And now, you know, new release Friday comes. Um, and God, I'm starting to sound so much older than 33. <laughs> but, but, but um, you know, you new release Friday comes and there's just so much and you want to take it all in because you're excited for all of it. But do you take it all in as much as we did when it was on CD? I don't know. It's hard. Is it? Is it hard to keep up? Oh, yeah. Like, I, it, there was a long time there where I was like, oh my God, I have no idea who this uh, artist is and they've got 10 million followers. I'm a failure. What an idiot. <laughs> and then I decided that there's too much music to, to feel stupid in any way. And I'm yeah. fine with being like, I'm so sorry. I have no idea who you're talking about. Please yeah. tell me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, can you talk us through the Rolling Stone process and, yeah. and, how, and how that um, came to be? How Rolling Stone came to be. Okay. So I've been obsessed with Rolling Stones since um, I was a young teenager and, you know, pretty much stalked Rod Yates and Matt Coit for a long time when I started being a music journalist. <laughs> Those poor guys, they received multiple pictures from me. And Rod Yates even, oh, bless his soul, he even let me do an artist interview once and I think I did, um, you know, five or six album reviews for them, which were cool. printed in the magazine. And, and you know what, when that happened... I, when I was in my twenties, I thought I can die happy. Like, yeah. cool. like whatever happens on top of this is like just cream on top. This is awesome. Um, and then icing on the cake, I should say. And then when I moved over to the Bragg media and Luke was, you know, buying up all these media companies, um, and music titles, I obviously suggested that we should partner with Matt Coit um, and um, bring Rolling Stone into the fold. And so I think conversations started pretty early on at the Bragg Media. Yeah. I don't know what year they started, but they definitely started with Matt Coit. And then um, when there was a company called Band Lab that owned Rolling, the the licensed Rolling Stone for a while um, in Australia before uh, it went into administration, I think the term was when it was announced, um, conversation started with them too. Mm. And then when PMC came back, came over and bought the bulk of Rolling Stone globally, conversation started with PMC. Cool. Uh, so it's been a long time. And then finally, when um, the, the, con- the contract was signed, they said, well, you've got to come over to New York because you have to meet everyone um, and you might have some questions you want to ask them and they, they can tell you, you know, how best to run things. And Luke and I got to spend two incredibly privileged days in New York City and I had never been to New York before <laughs> yeah. and it was snowing. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. We were, on the, we were in the PMC office, which is in um, Fifth Avenue in New York City, and it was snowing and we got to go up on their roof and be in the snow. Um, yeah. But more than that, though, we got to meet, you know, their uh, head of digital, their, um, you know, head of print, their art director, their social media team um, manager, their um, head of video, uh, their head of marketing across two days. Yeah. And we just picked their brain about how we run this business. And at that point, we were um, looking at just going digital with Rolling Stone. Mm. And um at the end of that trip we were like we've got to do a magazine partly because it just seems so freaking cool to do a print mag um and the other part of that was it's actually a huge revenue driver for them you know from subscriptions and from ad revenue it's Mm. a major part of their business uh and we thought let's give it a go here yeah (laughs) 
that must have been just the trip of your lifetime. Did, did it, were there moments where it didn't feel real, where you had to kind of pinch yourself and look back to Poppy when you're starting out riding, going, I want to play in New York to meet the heads of Rolling Stone to launch it in Australia? Totally. Like, it was, yeah, it was. And I met Gus Winner, which is Jan Winner, the founder of Rolling Stone. Yeah. Um, I met him in, in his beautiful office and he was lovely. Uh, and he said that the cover is really, really important. And he gave he gave us this look like the cover is really important. Yeah. And you know, there's a lot of pressure on the cover. You know, you can't. Um, Rolling Stone has this kind of actually, it's not even a say. The digital editor over there, he just said it because they just are just also freaking brilliant. But he just said, "Look, we don't really break artists on Rolling Stone. We anoint them." And so I've kind cool. of carried that. Yeah. yeah, I kind of, I've kind of carried that through. Of like, okay, if we're doing a cover for an artist, it's more about anointing that artist. Like, see our, our most recent September issue, which is sold out. Yeah. Um, another plug. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she she'd never been on the cover of Rolling Stone before. Yeah. Wow. That's great. Mm. Did it did it feel um was a lot of pressure when you got back home after the trip like that? Oh, I only had about a hundred pages of notes in a raggedy <laughs> notebook. Thinking, yeah. oh my god, how do I communicate all this to the team, and how do I um, do this here with, you know, a quarter of the resources? <laughs> <laughs> um, what yeah. was the anticipation like before the first release? It it was, you know, we launched during COVID. Yeah, you know, our, our first issue was in May, and we had so many people um, and fans saying, "I'm so excited! I, I've I've subscribed, and I can't wait for the first issue." And we had so much beautiful support from the industry. Um, and so we were all really pumped, but we were nervous. Oh, I bet. Yeah. We did not think we were going to sell it out. Um, let alone, you know, have it just be this really exciting time for music publishing, like and, it, and it, for us. And it was really, it was really, really tough. You know, like we, we were seeing all these music publications and just publications shutter all around us. And, um, it made us really sad because there's these incredible publications not no longer existing and there's these incredible writers that don't have full-time jobs. Um, and, you know, luckily we were able to, we're able to work with some of them now. Yeah. But it, yeah, there was this, this feeling of like, Oh my God, please work, please work. <laughs> and do you remember where you were when you found out that it was sold out? Um, no, I don't really remember. I think it might've just been a message on Slack or something of like, guys, there's no more. Ma- oh, that's right. There were no more magazines. Yeah. And then, cause we wanted to keep a, a few in the office and yeah. then our, um, our, we have one investor yeah. and he wanted a copy and we had none. And so Tones <laughs> and I, um, who yeah. was the cover artist, she yeah. had purchased a few, um, to, to give away to fans and to put on her merch site. Yeah. Um, and we had to buy them off her <laughs> merch site. That's awesome. Because we hadn't given some to um, our boss. And I, d- I think that there were um, a couple of clients that we wanted to give the magazine to and we, <laughs> we didn't have any. <laughs> <laughs> That's so amazing that that happened. Was there any talk on waiting until COVID was finished to release the first print? Was Or was it always going to be, here's the date, we, we want to do it, even though COVID's kind of still happening? As soon as COVID, as, as soon as it really happened, I was actually supposed to be, I was coming back from another um, a trip overseas uh, doing a story with APRA yeah. um, and I was supposed to be heading back for uh, to do another story on country music. I was supposed to be going to Nashville and New wow. York and LA to yeah. do this big 
feature on country. Um, and, you know, when all that didn't happen and, and we we had a big t- meetings to say, okay, we, we need to cut down our budget, um, our casual staff, we need to put them on pause. Like there were these conversations around yeah. how we operate as a business. And so I said to Luke, well, what about the magazine? And I was almost scared to say it. And he's like, oh, no, we're still doing the magazine. I was like, oh. what? <laughs> yeah, he was just like, you know, if we're going to, we, we said we we're going to do it, so let's do it. Amazing. What an incredible story. And now <laughs> it's, um, and what's the feedback been like? I mean, so many people must be so excited to have that brand back. It's, yeah, I've had some amazing emails from subscribers as well who have been, you know, very surprised by some of the content that we've put in um, cool. that, you know, not related to music and, and feel um you know, we I, we did a piece in the last one on trans rights in Australia, and I had a lot of great feedback from that. The one of the people that I interviewed for it, um, he's trans, and he was like, "Have you had any, you know, major pushback? You know, any, any, um, any people threatening to unsubscribe?" And I said, "No, I've had only you know, glowing emails of people saying thank you for teaching me about, um, you know, what's happening in Australia related to tra- related to trans health, um, and that's been really beautiful." Yeah. Um, yeah, good. And then Michael Chug sent us a beautiful email and called it a coffee table book, <laughs> which was nice. <laughs> well, like you were saying before, like with your casual workers at the moment and, and right now it's tough. Do you have any advice for writers that are coming up at the moment that might feel just a little bit lost or, or unsure just at the way things are? I think, I mean... <sighs> You have to think about operating in the space that you want to eventually be operating in. You know, start now. If you are wanting to be a a long-form writer, you know, open up a Medium account and start writing about what you want to write um, about. You know, just do it. You know, one thing that that experience that I was talking about before with Luke taught me was that no matter what people are watching, I was in my – role at the music network in my seventh year there or something and you know I was really feeling like I wanted a new challenge um and but I but I thought you know I'm not going to half-ass my job because of it or I'm not going to um you know try any less um to do the things that I want to strive to do with this company um because I know that you know your work is an extension of your character Mm. and Luke's even though I'd never met him before, he must have seen that in some way. And so, like, if you're, you know, you're out of a job and you're a writer, I am so sorry because um, it's so many people are doing it so tough. Um, but please don't stop writing. You know, still yeah. do what you want to do. You don't know who's watching. You don't know, um, you know, what editor is trawling Medium, Twitter um, to see who's writing what. Um, I'm one of them. Yeah, right. So, so you're you're actively looking. I mean, even though you've got a massive workload, you're always kind of checking to see what's out there as well. Yeah, we don't have much budget for uh, freelance stuff on our websites um, right now because of COVID, but we do have a bit of budget for the magazine. So I'm cool. always looking for uh, you know writers that are interested in like deep dives and investigative style pieces. Yeah, cool. I love that stuff. It seems like such an exciting job, and and like you were saying before, for for bands, if if they're looking to get on your radar um, with a press release or, or something like that, and don't have a manager or a publicist um, to kind of help them with that, what is the best 
best way for a band to kind of do that? It is tricky. I I love my relationships with publicists. I am extremely reliant on them. A lot of them really know how to pitch um, to each site yeah. accordingly. So they'll they'll know that this artist is perfect on tone deaf because of A, B, C, and D. Um, or they'll you know really understand that this artist is is going to be someone that everyone's going to be looking at, and I trust that they are helping me um, understand that this is a trending artist or, or stuff like that. But I do understand that publicists are can be really expensive and not within every budget. Yeah. So I do I do have a bit of advice for um, artists who are, are pitching without a publicist. And the main I guess the main piece of advice is to not do that whole spray and pray approach where you just say, you know, the same email to everybody. You do, um, you know, curate each po- po- um, each pitch, sorry. So you would pick five media publications with a stretch of seven and you would curate each pitch according to that um, publisher. So if you're pitching to me, don't pitch to the Bragg Media, pitch to the site that you want it on and have researched that site so that you know what you're pitching is something that, number one, we've published something similar before or um, number two is something that our audience is going to be into. So you would never pitch a premiere to Rolling Stone. We just don't do music premieres, video or anything. But you might pitch a song you need to know, which is kind of our way of um, getting a bit more um, emerging um, mid-tier sort of artists to um, to the Rolling Stone page. Um, on Tone Def, you might pitch a premiere, but you might also pitch a get to know if you're an emerging artist, which is you know, 10 basic questions um, that we send out to the artists that range from tell us about some of your songs to um, how would you describe your music to your grandma, Um, which is always fun, except for when some artists have said, all of our grandmothers have passed away, (laughs) which just broke my heart. (laughs) Like, delete the question. So, yes, curate your pitch, do your research, um, you know, aim for five publications with a stretch of seven. um, And, you know, there's a few do's and don'ts as well. Like, you know, do spell the name of the person you're pitching to correctly. Um, Do not mistake that publication for a a competitor of theirs. Do... um, don't tell them that you're going to um, send it to a competitor if they don't reply very soon. Um, that doesn't always help. <laughs> yeah. Um, what else? Oh, don't assume someone's gender either. Um, yes. Uh, yeah, just yeah, spell their name right, include their name and curate it. Exactly, because you'd hate for someone to call you Penny. Oh, yeah, that's happened. I've also been called poopy as well, which is really funny to me. Um, can you tell us quickly, can, we, can you tell us quickly about this, this sunrise incident? Oh, man. You know what was so weird? So yeah. I went, I was, um, you know, never been on TV before and I was so nervous and I went to the studio and everything was all fine. I could hear the studio, uh, the producer just fine. And then as soon as Richard Wilkins started talking to me, um, everything repeated back in my ear like with like a two-second delay. <laughs> yeah. So it was really like confusing anyway. Um, and then he accidentally called me Penny. And you know what? He's such a honey. He he yeah. texted me after. And oh, he really? Said, I, 
he apologized and even though it's not his fault um a producer wrote it on his script and he was just reading it but gotcha. he like he fully apologized and i said oh that's totally fine i said i was just stoked that um i i got to chat to you i'm, I'm a big yeah. fan and then he said and then he was like no probs penny <laughs> <laughs> like just as a joke <laughs> that's your thing now what about yeah, um, and then but weirdly like yeah. a few weeks after that he did a interview with um a magazine it might have been Women's Day or something like that yeah. and they spelled his name wrong <laughs> I take that that's great <laughs> hey that that <laughs> advice about publications what you gave was was so incredible what about for if bands want to get um a reviewer to come down and and to check out their gig is is there a best way to that, to approach that Everybody loves going to a free gig. Um, yeah, you yes, know, yes. offering to put there. I mean, I, I guess I would say, um, you know, if you're going to invite them, invite them without expectation. So, you know, don't say, you know, I'll only put you, if you're happy to review, um, I'll put you on the door plus one. You know, just say, you know, would love to for you to come and check out our music. Um, you know, you never know. Every time I've gone to, not every time, that's a lie. Most times when I've gone to a gig for free, I've bought some merch. Um, so you don't know. You might actually make a couple bucks out of it. Even if they do social media or something, that that could be really great um, as well. So, but, yeah, you, you just you don't know if you don't ask. Um, if In terms of strategy of definitely getting them there, I think that my only advice would be, yeah, don't expect anything in return. And I think if you do do a follow-up, um, it would just be a follow-up to say, like, hope you had fun. One of the the hardest um, pitch email, um, uh, like, sign-offs that I get is here's the artist or here's the album or here's the single or here's the video and then would love to know what you think at the end of it. I, I don't know how to reply to that. It doesn't matter what I think. It matters what my audience thinks. Um, what I really need to know from you is what exactly you want from me out of it. So here's all the information. Would love a premiere on Tone Diff. Or here's all the information. Would you mind considering this for video of the week? So good. Like you were saying before, um, is, is there any kind of technology that bands and writers are using now to kind of promote their brand that you're excited about right now? Bands and artists are really finding this beautiful way of collaborating with technology to create virtual worlds, um, you know, kind of taking it further that I, I, I can't tour to see you. Um, I'm not able to tour at all. I'm not able to travel, but here is an opportunity for me to engage with my fans directly in a virtual world. And you know, Travis Scott did something with Fortnite where he did a concert on Fortnite. That was really freaking cool. Um, and who was it? Um, yeah, Tinashe. She performed as an avatar in this uh, this world that she created through YouTube. So yeah. YouTube and Tinashe partnered and they spent weeks creating this um, just world that people could immerse themselves in. And then she performed as an avatar. She, she would have worn all the like, you know, the crazy things that they wear on their bodies so that and stand in front of a green screen. She yeah, would have done yeah. all that. Um, and then just on the subject of avatars, one cool thing that tech is doing, they're creating CGI fashion, not just for artists, but for people yeah. that use avatars. So I don't know if you've you've read that thing about this $9,500 dress that was sold and it's a virtual dress. I haven't. That's insane. That was created. It's freaking yeah. crazy. It was created for uh, just 
an avatar online. Um, and so I think that we might see some avatar merch coming out that you, right. you own it, you bought it, and it's exclusively just for you, but it's all digital. That's cool. Is it? Is it like, are yeah. you guys looking to do more and more digital stuff for all your publications as um, as time goes on? More and for more. sure. We're, yeah. We're doing a digital cover next month, actually. Oh, cool. Yeah, digital Rolling Stone cover. They, they do them in the US. They do it overseas. It's not a brand new thing. Um, but I'm very, very excited to, to do this one. That's so done. cool. That is so cool. Yeah. Hey, Poppy, who's been um, some influential people in your career? Well, I mean, I think I feel like I bang on about Luke so much, but he's just, he's so supportive of me. He's been a mentor without being officially labeled a mentor. Yeah, I just, I, I really love working with him. He he does things very differently. A lot of people don't quite understand his brain sometimes. Sometimes he's operating on a bit of a, a future level that people aren't at yet, um, oh. but, but that inspires me. And Millie Petriella from APRA AMCOS. So she's, uh, I think, Director of Member Relations or Member Services over there. And she's incredible. She's been with APRA for over 25 years now and it was incredible to just see how many of these artists that I spoke to had said you know Millie has changed my life or Millie has um you know just really been there for me in really hard times and Millie has actually affected my bottom line in terms of money that I make because of the advice she's given and yeah right yeah yeah that's that's pretty that's a pretty amazing thing yeah how how, um important is it do you think for people to have mentors in, in the music industry coming up it's it's so important, but they don't have to be from the music industry either. You know, I think that there's there's that whole thing of like, oh, you should you should be mentored by someone who's doing what you want to do eventually. But I think that you know you can learn from someone completely outside of your sector who is just killing it at life in general. Yeah. Um, and you also don't have to tell them that they're your mentor. That's one thing I've learned. Just hang out with them a whole bunch. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Pick their brain every time. It's like, oh, every time we hang out, he's got a pen and paper. It's really weird. <laughs> Do you have um, any insights or predictions over the next couple of years? For uh, one, one thing that I have been trying to look into and trying to make happen is this thing called AI Writer. So it is artificial intelligence for writing. Right. So my whole thing that I want to create with for my writers and my team is um, a land where they don't have to write every single press release that comes their way themselves, yeah. that there is a computer that does it for them, um, and it exists. It's by a company in Singapore called QLX. Um, yeah, yeah, and so yeah. for me, I feel like for my artists, for my artists, my writers like Geordie Gray or um, our news editor, Alexander Pan, we would say to them, Instead of writing these press releases today, you write about what you want to write about, Boo. You write about yeah. that investigative piece on um, on that you know heavy metal artist from Mongolia that you love yeah. instead of this tour announce, which is equally important. Um, but we have a computer write it. Incredible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the machines. Future, yeah, the machines are really taking over, aren't they? Are there any um, kind of rising stars in in the industry you think we should know about? I'm really into this Kiwi writer called Jed Parsons cool. at the moment. Um, he he's just cool. I don't even know how to describe his music. It's you know kind of power pop, but indie guitars in it it's yeah he's he's very cool has there been a uh a pinch yourself moment has there been a poppy reed singing elton john in the back of a bus almost famous kind of moment you've you've had along the way where you're just like wow this 
doesn't feel real. You know what? That kind of happened recently. So yep. um, I interviewed Tones and I for the first um, Rolling Stone Australia magazine cover issue cover and I got to go to Melbourne and I went to her house and I met with her and her friends yep. and she was very lovely and I had the most amazing chat and it got really emotional and there was a point in the interview where I wanted to stop the interview because it was getting really emotional and I had this whole you know, protector moment where I was like, we need to just stop and then she'll be less upset. But then there's the journalist in me going, you have to just let her tell her story. You have to just, you know, keep recording. Yeah. So that was, a, but that's not the moment. They, um, so that happened. And then she invited me to her laneway show. Um, and I hung out with her backstage, which mm. was really cool. I got to witness her pre-show ritual, you know, yeah. where she, they had like she had secret handshakes with all of her um her friends and her assistants and her team. It was very cute. Like an NBA. And I player. watched ah, oh, she's awesome. <laughs> and then I watched her on stage and she just fucking killed it. And I watched from, you know, the pit, the the photographer pit down the bottom. Yeah. Um, and she looked at me and she pointed and she like did a like a cute little sassy, yeah, um, sassy face. And her manager like kind of elbowed me and he was like that was for you poppy um and i just thought oh my god i cannot believe this is happening and then after that um you know she was backstage and having a drink and celebrating an amazing set um and she said welcome to the family which is very sweet here we are As um as a writer, sometimes when you like you were saying interviewing tones and I is is it hard to find that balance sometimes where you've got that professional and emotional, um you know connection pulling you one way or another. Totally, you kind of have to remember that you're not um you're not their friend, but you are the conduit to their fans. So you know I think that journalism is this really fascinating music journalism, especially is this really fascinating thing where you're you have the privilege of telling an artist's story in a way that they weren't previously able to communicate through their music. And I think it's such a massive responsibility. Mm. Um, and you don't off, you don't really get that if you, you know, act like their mate or you act, you know, you know, um, if I kind of jumped in and said, Hey, let's, let's, let's stop there. I don't think that would really tell her story in the way that her fans really ended up quite appreciating. You, you can't really tell the, who tones truly is um if you stunt those kinds of situations yeah uh, have you have you had those moments with a few artists al- along the way do, do things like that happen a lot artists breaking down and and, and getting really emotional oh yeah i remember ch- not all the time but yeah. i it's you know, when it happens you remember it you know and it's it's really it's a beautiful thing to be invited into their world like that and you know that they're doing that because there's a, a part of them that wants to share that with their fans and they know that you are that conduit to their fans. I remember interviewing Clown from Slipknot um, and he was talking about um, the member who passed away. Fuck, how have I forgotten his name? Is it Paul? Oh, gosh, I've forgotten. Um, and I just asked him how he was doing. It was right at the end of the interview and I just said, I just want to know that. How, are you Okay. Um, and yeah, he really, he really did break down and the publicist yeah. was, um, trying to, <laughs> trying to like stop him and trying yeah. to like, yeah. you know, stop the interview from, from happening. But, um, yeah, he was very vulnerable in that moment and it was, it was extremely sad. I guess it must be such a special moment because artists do so many interviews and 
to have that connection, I guess, you know, being one of maybe 10 people that have spoken to him on that day, but to know that you're the person that kind of cut through must be a pretty nice feeling too. Totally. Yeah. And you know, you know that when you're, you know, when you're the journalist that doesn't cut through, you know, when you're the journalist where where they're like, you're my 10th interview today, I'll give you my best, but this is all I've got. Um, And, you know, often those happen when you've got 10 minute phone conversation slots, you know, that, that happens quite a bit, but the beauty of having Rolling Stone as a brand now is that, you know, there is an expectation that it's a longer form interview. You know, we don't do a 10 minute phone. Are we, ideally do a face-to-face for the cover um, feature as a remit of it must be the better part of a day yeah. you know so um, I'm interviewing two artists this week and we're spending half a day each together so um, and we have we have plans for what we're going to do for for those artists to, to bring me into their world yeah. um, it's pretty special actually because you think of when an artist is on tour or um, you know, when an artist is just working, it's almost to the minute. Their schedule is very packed and there's yeah. not much time for these things. So the fact that, you know, an artist makes time for for an article for Rolling Stone is, is you know, it applies a little bit of pressure. You're like, I've got to do this article justice. Yeah. Um, I have to do the fans justice. Um, but it's it's great when, you know, Sony Music calls you and they say, hey, we've got Foo Fighters and you're you're allowed half an hour instead of 10 minutes. You know, that's always nice. Do you still feel the pressure when you're interviewing an artist or, or is that uh, completely relaxed? Do you, do you um, yeah, I don't know. Do you, do you sometimes mm. feel under pressure when you're talking to certain, certain artists? Yeah, definitely. Like I'll, it, it, yeah, you get nerves and you, but that's when I've kind of gotten rid of that a little bit. I used to be, um, you know, that young journalist that just really wanted the artist to like me. Please yeah. like me. Yeah, yeah. Please be my friend. And now, you know, I'm, it's work and it's a job and I'm here to observe and, um, you know, help you tell your story. So I'm not so nervous anymore because, um, you know, and I used to do a lot, um, a lot of interviews in a really small space of time. Like I would be, I would get you know, a 10 minute window to prepare for an interview sometimes. Mm. Whereas now you're only nervous if you aren't prepared or if you're, you know, just really care what they think of you. After you turn 30, you don't really give a fuck what people think of you, which yeah. is great. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, you do your homework. If you've done your homework, you're not that nervous. Do you have any advice for um, writers who are just starting out that uh, are just getting in and only have those 10 minute windows, the, the best way to approach, you know, having a small period of time? I would say read everything that the artist, if you can, um, if read everything the artist has, has released, uh, sorry, listen to everything the artist has released, read every interview that they've done and try and ask something they haven't answered before. You know, like go, like go through the, um, the music and see, you know, what hasn't been talked about before or go through those interviews and, and kind of ask the questions that, are, that seem to be missing. Do you have um, one last piece of advice for artists that are coming out of COVID now? God, I, I was talking to an artist the other day and they told me that normally they sell out arenas and that they're doing a, uh, a COVID show um, and they, were, they weren't sure whether they were going to sell a thousand tickets. Um, and so I guess there is a little bit of nervousness from fans. There's a lot, there's a lot of people that are um scared to go to a show scared to buy a ticket what if it gets cancelled you know many have 
been too bigged out before and <laughs> had that not happened and never received a refund, you know, that we got scared for, from bigged out and, and Soundwave, unfortunately, right at the end. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there is a bit of fear from fans um, and that stuff takes time. So I think it would be do away with the ego. You know, if you're if you're usually selling out the end more and you have to play a very small um, 100-cat room for now, um, mm. Yeah, that, that's that's just your ego talking. This is a pandemic, mate. Yeah. <laughs> you said it better. Poppy, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, it's inspiring, all this stuff you're doing, and I think a lot of oh. people are going to get a lot out of this chat. It was informative, and I've learned so much from chatting to you. So thanks so much for joining us on the Muso Podcast. Oh, thanks for having me, and thanks for doing this podcast. I've listened to all the episodes, and I think it's wonderful, and you've got some incredible guests on there and asking Wonderful questions, and I'm learning so much. So thanks for doing it. Well, thank you. Looking forward to catching up when all this is over. Awesome. All right. Awesome. I'll see you later. How good was that? That was Poppy Reed from Bragg Media giving so many insights into the world of music publications and media. Some great takeaways that we hope will help you in your music journey. That's a wrap for Season 1. What a blast it's been. I can't stop saying it. We'll be back in January 2021 with a whole host of industry guests. Send us a DM on our Instagram at MusoApp to let us know who you'd love to hear from on the next season. As always, from the team at Muso, thanks for listening. Have a great Christmas and we'll see you next time on the Muso Podcast.